okay. So, <laughs> I'm so glad you're here today. This is a great time to be in the house of the Lord. And I've got a message for you today that I expect to be a blessing to you because I believe the Lord gave it to me. And I want to share it with you this morning. I've called this message, When Poison Tastes Good. It doesn't matter how good poison tastes. It'll still make you sick or kill you. The thing about it tasting good is it makes it deceptive. It shocks and surprises a lot of people. I understand there are people who go out and pick berries out of the woods and mushrooms out of the ground and eat them because they like the taste of them. If you eat the wrong mushroom, it'll kill you. If you eat the wrong berries, it'll make you sick or kill you. I am told, now I am smart enough not to know for a fact, but I am told that antifreeze tastes good. I'm just going by what I've been told. I have never been stupid enough to sample it, to find out. But I have read that it has a sweet taste. In fact, a couple of years ago, antifreeze manufacturers started changing it, and they put something bitter in it so the animals can't really expect much more from the animals. But there are a lot of people who've drunk antifreeze, some intentionally to kill themselves, some just because they were curious. I never had that much curiosity, but I, I understand it. I understand it because I do know that people, and, and I'm not talking about you here, of course. We're talking about people that are not here today. But I'm going to tell you, there are some people who do some dumb things. They do dumb things. You wonder, why in the world would anybody do anything that dumb? I, I was pulling through a drive-thru uh, this week. It was, it was at a gas station. And there were cars lined up on both sides. And, and I'm pulling straight forward, and the person to my right decides to make a left turn. Without looking, obviously. And... I have started kind of looking around. I try to get a a circumference view of what things are happening, circular view of what's going on. So I saw her, and somehow I just felt like she's going to turn left. And she started to. And I stopped. And I, I didn't blow my horn. I didn't get upset. I didn't lose my temper. Aren't you proud of me? But she almost clipped the front of my car that I had just got out of the body shop. True, I just got out of the body shop. And so I was so glad. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I let her go. Gladly let her go. She never even knew that she almost hit me. She never looked that way. As far as she knew, it was a clear path. She never knew. She never, I kept looking through the window. She never even noticed that I was there. That's a good report. Because she missed me. But I'm just simply telling you that a lot of times people just do dumb things. I I don't know why anybody would test antifreeze. I just read about it and they tell me it's true and I'm going to believe it's true. It doesn't matter to me if it is or isn't. I'm not going to try it out. Because I know this. No matter how good poison may taste, it will kill you. There are poisonous things that you may put in your body that are not going to kill you today. 
But if you keep on feeding them into your body and you become addicted to them, so you've got to keep on ingesting that poison in your body, eventually it will kill you. I'm just giving you a fair warning on that. For some of you, if you don't know that, just because it hasn't killed you yet doesn't mean it's not going to kill you if you don't stop doing it. Now, there are a lot of us who are taking in a lot of poison things, not by mouth, not by injection. We're taking a lot of poisonous things right in through the entrance, the main entrance to our being, in our minds. We are taking poisonous things into our minds. And those things are working against us, not for us, bringing us to lesser spirituality, lesser victory with God, and to confusion about what God wants in our lives. I'm going to talk to you about an overall issue that every scene of one of us is confronted with. But I want you, and before I get through this morning, hopefully I can touch on this, I want you to understand that there are things that you can act on and believe that you think are right because somebody in your family told you, some friend of yours convinced you, you believe that you ought to go sample this certain thing over here, whatever it may be, whether it's an occult, whether it is a cult, or whether it's uh, just a mis- false teaching, and you go and, you, and you're led in there, and you're, and you're brought in there, and you hear this, and it sounds good, except for a couple of little things, and then after a while, as you keep on with those couple of little things just kind of grow, and they start to enforce it. There's, there's an organization, I'm not going to name it because I don't want to look like I'm uh, talking again about other things. I, I, I would name it, and I, and I could do it free of conscience because I know how wrong they are. But there's, there's, a, there's a magazine that comes out. I find myself occasionally reading because it says a lot of things about world events, a lot of things about prophecy. And I, and I think I know enough not to be misled about it, so I'll read these things because they're interesting. But then I also know when I read who publishes that magazine that it is an attempt to engage people to believe this and then bring them into the false message that that organization really propagates and is there to put forth. And it is a message anti-gospel. It has the name of Jesus Christ, but is anti-gospel. You can be caught up in things that are wrong, thinking that they're mostly right, and you can be misled by them. That, my friends, is what I identify this morning as poison that tastes good. There's a poison of ideas that, that's, that is prolific in our country today. If you start to live by the prevailing mores of the culture of this country today, not consider the world, that too, but the mores of the culture of this country today, you will find yourself moving further and further away from the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will find yourself being deceived and deluded, and you will find yourself falling away from the truth of the gospel. Because you cannot believe what is being espoused in this country today as good, legitimate, loving, kind, fair, diverse. You cannot identify with that 
without losing your status of true faith in the Word of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they're incompatible. They, are not accept- they do not go together. But in the name of, of uh, diversity and in the name of acceptance of others and love for all mankind, we are being fed a distorted message that is, and I keep hearing, I keep hearing again and again and again, this phrase pops up all the time. America, we say, we aren't like that. That is, we don't take a stand against these things. That's not who we are. That's not really American. That's not where we came from. That's not who we are. And again and again and again, I hear referring to our country, accepting all of these things that are being put forth to us as acceptable and good and tolerant and diverse, which we ought to all be. And then we don't do these things We don't stand against these things because that's not who we are. Well, I'm going to tell you this, my friends. That's who we used to be. That's who we once were. And I'm going to tell you the second part of that. That's who we ought to be again. I'm not talking about being unfair to people, unkind to people. I'm not talking about taking people's rights away from them. Our rights are being taken away from us, I think. But I'm not talking about taking people's rights away from I'm not talking about being unfair to people or any certain element or class of people. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about standing for what's right, for what's true. And there isn't any way, there is no way, it does, unless you refuse to believe the Bible. Now, it doesn't matter if I have a homosexual in my family. It doesn't matter if you have one in yours. It doesn't matter if you are, for that matter. It does not change what the Bible says That is unnatural, it's abnormal, and I'm going to say this in this pulpit while I can say it, because I don't know how much longer I'll be allowed to say it. I'm going to to keep on saying it, even if I'm not allowed, I'm going to keep on saying it. Because it is, and and to make that too, sometimes it is is presented as being 10 to 20% of the population, and I don't think that's even nearly true. Everything that I see seem more accurate to me is like 2% of the population. That are, that are, that are home. And, and, and I'm not against these people. That's not, I hope you don't grasp that for one. I'm not against these people. I'm against that abnormal lifestyle that is anti-God, anti-Scripture, and, 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 and against the ways and the teaching of the Lord. And, and, and my friends, the reason there's such an antipathy on the part of people who are trapped in that lifestyle towards the church and toward the and toward the ministry and toward the teaching of God's Word is because there is such a natural, natural spiritual, spiritual clash between the two and that they are not compatible and they cannot coexist. You cannot believe one is right. It doesn't matter if, 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 uh, if, if there's a church that you go to that allows homosexual priests or ministers or pastors or preachers. It doesn't matter. Uh, any church can do whatever they want to do. That will never, ever make it right unless it is in accord with the Word of God. So, so the worldview of many Christians today is being attacked. We are narrow-minded, rigid, uncompromising, intolerant, 
hate mongers, homophobes, unless we accept that lifestyle. I'll take all of those, I'll take all of those before I say it's right. Before I say that lifestyle is right, I'll just take all those things and let them be lodged against me. That's all right. I'd rather be called that than saying someone who accepts it when I know that it's wrong. 73%, the latest survey I've seen, 73% of adults in America today identify themselves as Christians. Now, I know that that includes the Mormons and, the, and probably the Jehovah's Witnesses and and uh, the, the Unitarians and a lot of people that say they're Christians and are not. I, I'm, I'm sure it includes all of those. And, but that's still a very small number. If you even say that, that 70%, 65% of people in America today identify themselves as Christians, that's a phenomenal number compared to any other group of people. The Muslims are a minuscule part of the population of this country. Homosexuals are a minuscule part of the, of the population of this country. The fact is that Christians, by their claim at least, are predominant in this country. We are the solid, long-term majority in this country. But the problem is that those of us who are in the majority think it's all right for the minority to make the rules. And we've got a lot of court, court, I said court people, (laughs) we've got a lot of judges and people in the legal system who agree with them. In fact, the highest court in our land, natural man-made court in our land, the highest court in our land today agrees with that. And so, so all, of these, all of these Christians need to take a stand and make an impact for, for the power of God and the truth of God. There is a, another statistic says that one-fourth, about 23%, that'd be about one out of four of the adult population, identify themselves as skeptics. And the, when, the, when the survey was done, the, the poll identified those who are atheists, who don't even believe in God, those who are agnostics, who believe God may exist, but we don't know him and we can't know him. Those who are atheists and agnostics were put together as skeptics. So one out of four identified themselves as skeptics. Here were the three main reasons that people declared themselves as skeptics. The number one reason was because they rejected the Bible. And when you reject the Bible, that's the first thing. You don't have to do anything. As you reject the Bible, you can become a skeptic. You will be a skeptic if you reject the Bible. The foundation of what we believe is the Word of God. The foundation we stand on is the Word of God. We don't have anything. We have a, we have a declaration of what we believe in this church. If it isn't based on the Bible, I'll tell you frankly, in all honesty, it doesn't mean anything. If it's based on the Bible that is right, it's true, and it ought to be followed and observed. But if it's not based on the Bible, it doesn't mean anything. It's not worth having. Just because we believe it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, we can believe that we own Publix. We can have a resolution and put it in our doctrine. We own Publix. Go down there and try to get your groceries free if you think that's true. It doesn't matter unless it's based on God's Word, which is what makes it true, is what I'm saying. So rejection of the Bible is the first thing that causes a person to be a skeptic. Then the next thing was, second place, lack of trust in the local church. I'm going to say a few things to you, just a couple of things. I'm going to digress. 
and get a little bit off, which I never do, as you know. But I, I'm going to say a couple of extra things. If you're walking around the church lacking confidence in the church, it may not be that anything's wrong with the church. It could be, perish the thought, but it might be. Just give this a little consideration. It's possible, just remotely possible, that it could be something's wrong with you, you. It could be. And if you think there's too many hypocrites in the church, I say, come on in. We got room for one more. I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm not saying it's never been perfect. The reason it's not perfect is because you're a member of it. If I could have it all by myself... Be a different story. <laughs> you know I don't mean that. <laughs> That's, it's never going to be perfect. You can look around all you want to. You will find people who are not living right, not doing right, not doing what I'm preaching, not doing what the Word of God says. Yes, yeah, some of you. Yeah. But listen, that's no reason to give up on God. There's no reason to give up on the church. Get in it and make it better. Get in it, be a better person, be a better Christian, victorious Christian, and make the church better. That's what we need to do. Don't look around and say, oh, well, you know something. I saw, I hate to tell it, but I saw him where he didn't need to be. You were close enough to see him. Keep that in mind. I saw him where he didn't need to be. And, you know, I was reading on Facebook, and I saw his face. Hey, you won't believe what he said on Facebook. There's a little X up in the top right corner. You, you move that little arrow up on your, you move it up there, and when you get it up there, and, and then you click on it, and it goes away. <laughs> and then you don't have to worry about it, because it's not your problem, that's his problem. Her problem, their problem, whatever. <laughs> so, when poison tastes good, Lack of trust in the local church. And the third thing, the third thing that reinforced people as skeptics, the third thing was the cultural reinforcement of a secular worldview. Now that means if you have a secular worldview, all these things that I've been saying are wrong, that are made acceptable in the name of diversity and tolerance, and civil rights, I'm all for civil rights, by the way, uh, for, for people that are categorized who need the civil rights. You and I need ours. We need freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Everybody ought to have his civil rights. But that doesn't mean that there ought to be a special protected class because they think we're special. We're a little small percentage, and they think they're special, and they ought to have special rights designated to them. You follow what I'm saying? So... If there is a cultural reinforcement of a secular worldview going on in our country today, now I want to I tell you that's extremely important that you recognize standing against. It's not just enough for you to go out and talk about the decisions that are made in the courts of our land and for enough for you to get on and, 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 and put on your 
whatever means it is that you tell everybody what you think on the internet and, get, and say that you just don't believe that and you don't agree with those things. No, you need to take a stand against them in every possible public way. Don't just do it hiding behind a shield somewhere. Let it be known that you're standing for right and truth, not because you're fighting with somebody, because you're against anybody, but you're because of truth. And if people will stand for the Word of God and for the history and for the authenticity of this country's founding, we will be on solid ground historically and spiritually. So, so the cultural reinforcement of it, if you have a secular worldview, and a secular worldview, can't, can't, it, it's, well, well there, we don't have to worry about God handling things. The governments of the world will take care of it. The government of the United States is going to take care of it. Listen, the government of the United States can't even take care of the names and addresses that they've got, that we gave them, that we entrusted to them, that we said ought to be private, and they guaranteed us would be private. They can't even take care of that. Those little Chinese people over there get on their computers, and next thing you know, they know everything about 70 million plus people in the United States of America, anything and everything they want to know about you. You did read about that, didn't you? You don't know about that? If you don't, get up to date, folks. I mean, I mean, if you ever had a, if you've ever been on the of the government's list for anything, first they said it was about four million. They were wanted us to believe it was four million. And then it turned out it was be about seventy or eighty million, and the number keeps going up. If you ever had anything, if you ever gave the government any information about yourself, and if you've ever done anything in this country, you have to give them information because you can't do anything without giving it to them. You can't get anything from the government without giving your Social Security number. You can't get anything without giving your date of birth, place of birth, all kinds of things that they have no business knowing. You can't get anywhere without giving them all of that. You don't have to give them your cell phone number, by the way. They'll get that anyway. <laughs> Just leave that off. They've got that already. And all that you've got on it. So, so if you want to, if, if you really want to, take to, 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 to keep yourself secure, don't think that the government's going to do it for you. They're really going to do nothing but complicate your life. I'm not saying all government is bad. Sound like I'm an anarchist this morning. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's all bad, but I'm saying it's bad enough there to stay away as far away from it as you can. But here's the difference now. Here's, here's what you and I need to understand. The cultural reinforcement of a secular worldview. God spoke about loving everybody. First John, the whole book of First John is about loving people, loving everybody. If you hate your brother and say you love God, you're a liar. The truth's not in you. You've got to love people. You've got to love God. It's all about love. That's the, tra- that's the epistle that says God is love. You read about love. You ought to read it if you haven't read it lately. It's only five little chapters. The short chapters at that, five, just five little short chapters. You can probably read it in 30 minutes, depending on how good a reader you are. Just dwell on it a little while. Read, read. It's just very, but you ought to read it again. However... In the middle of all of that, love God, love others, love your brothers, love Jesus. In the middle of all that in 1 John, there's also this statement John says. Love not the world. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, he's talking about a world system. He's not talking about this earth. He's talking about a world system, a world philosophy, a world belief, a secular worldview. And the world, that world system, that world philosophy will pass away. And the lust of it will pass away. But he that doeth the will of God, he who stands on the word of God, who believes the word of God, who thinks the Supreme Court might be wrong sometimes, who believes that the Congress might make mistakes sometimes, who thinks the governor is not the be-all, end-all answer to things that are going on in the world today, that one who believes that God is the one who's in control, that one who lives by that fact, the world passeth away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Glory to God. Now, now some of you think I start preaching sometimes and I don't read the scripture and I admit it takes me a little while to get to it sometimes, but I just got to it. First John chapter 2 is what I just quoted to you. Verses 15 through 17. And I'm going to read it again in the English Standard Version right now. I can quote it in the King James. I have to read it from the English Standard. Do not love the world or the things of, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hallelujah. And now, I'm going to make this statement to you, and I'm going to try to come to a quick close. I know you probably know this, but I just want to be on record as having said it. The Supreme Court is not the interpreter of the Bible for us. I, I don't even think they're any more the interpreters of the Constitution of the United States for us. They're certainly not the ones to tell us what's right and wrong. Because nowadays, more often than not, not being political, just being a preacher of the truth, nowadays, more often than not, they get it wrong more times than they get it right. I'm not even going to go into all that. I'm just going to tell you that's true. 1978, and for years before that, but in this what I'm going to tell you about happened in 1978. For a number of years, there was a man in California who started out in Indiana, moved to California, whose name was Jim Jones. He purported himself to be a pastor of the People's Temple and uh, a multi-ethnic church, they called it at the time. But the church became very uh, absorbed in itself and, and very off doctrinally. And uh, when, when the time came that he understood they were going to do an expose in the paper about him as the pastor, Jim Jones as the pastor of the People's Temple, and, and tell a lot of things that were going on uh, reported by people who'd left the church, he banded all of his people together and went to a place that they had bought and started working on sometime before because eventually they were planning to move there anyway. They just speeded it up. So in this, in this time frame, uh, 
he banded all these people together and took about a thousand people down to this settlement of land that they found had bought in Guyana and they named it Jonestown. When they got there, there wasn't much there. They had to work and build it up and put it all together. But even down there, a lot of people, they said, were being held captive and held against their will. So a congressman, Leo Ryan of California, went down there to observe it, took some observers with him. Before he left, uh, he didn't leave. When he got ready to leave, he was shot at the airport, killed by the followers of Jones. And uh, so, that, so, he, so Jim Jones, the leader of that organization, went to them and said, the time is coming now that we've done this, now that we've taken a stand for our freedom and for right, that uh, we're going to be attacked by the U.S. government. There's going to come a time when they'll be parachuting in here and they'll be shooting us and killing us. And he, he made all of them paranoid and caused, uh, caused them to believe him. And so then he said to them, the only way we can escape this is through this means that I'm going to tell you, we all have to go to heaven together. So he convinced them that they should drink poison and they put it in, today most times people talk about it, they say it was in Kool-Aid. It actually was in uh, that other little thing like Kool-Aid called what, something like Flavor Right, I think it is. It doesn't matter, it makes no difference. It's just Kool-Aid with a different name. So now there's an expression that's used commonly among a lot of people to talk about dumb, you know, dumb people that accept almost anything. Oh, hey, just go ahead and drink your Kool-Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid drinkers. That's where it comes from. That's what they're talking about. These people were persuaded that they ought to kill themselves. So they took all this flavored drink, grape-flavored Kool-Aid, and they put in it cyanide and Valium. There were 276 children who died in that horrible time. And the way the children were di- died, they took the, the grape juice supposedly with, laced with poison. They put it in a syringe and shot it in a syringe in the children's mouths and had them swallow it. 276 children died in this. A total died on November 18, 1978. 912 people, including those 276 children, died because they were persuaded to drink that Kool-Aid. They were persuaded to drink that great drink. Most of them knew as they took it that they were taking poison and were dying. But I am telling you today that there's a lot of poison that tastes good. Now, you say, why would anybody be that stupid? I can only answer that by saying, and, 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 and I don't mean this in any pejorative way, but people do things all the time, and they tell me this is why they did it. And when they get through telling me, I think, well, what? That's why you did it? My heavens. I don't say this to them. I have a couple of times. Usually I don't say this to them. I'm just thinking. How dumb are you? I mean, that's why you did that? That's why you attacked that person? That's why you... I mean, I hear people that go to jail and they tell them, well, this is why I did it. Yeah, well, you'd rather have got that off your chest and, do, and, and you'd rather have gone ahead and done that and got your flesh satisfied and uh, spend f- five years in jail? Well, hey, if you're that dumb, as long as I don't have to go with you, go on. Have it your way. There are people that dumb. I could call you some names right now. I'm not going to. Don't worry. Don't get upset. <laughs> but I could. I could tell you some people right now in that very category. 
Why in the world would we do it? You look back at your life at some time in your life. You think of it right now. Why in the world did I do that? How stupid was I to do that? I knew there were consequences. I knew I'd have to pay the price. Why did I do that? And you're still trying to figure it out. And the reason you did it is because you drank the Kool-Aid. You believed the lie. You allowed poison to get into your life, whether you were negative about the work of God or against somebody that was a fellow Christian or carried unforgiveness in your heart and just got to the place that it overwhelmed you. Whatever all of your reasons were, it still doesn't make any sense today. I know somebody who was a member of our church. This is way back over the old church, so you won't know who it, who it was, or I wouldn't tell it. Or somebody who's a member of our church got so excited about joining our church. Joined her. Her name is still there. It's not there as an active member, but it's still a name that we carry them on there. And it's right there. So Now, today, but not as an active member, because she hadn't been, it doesn't matter how long been she been. She, she hadn't been since she ought to have been, put it that way. So, so right shortly after she joined church, she stopped coming. Oh, well, talked to her mother. Oh, well, she just, she just little, little weak, right? Finally found out this is what happened. Shortly after she joined the church, she was on the internet. Woo, playing on the internet. Oh, having a wonderful time. Talking to those guys out there looking for women. And she was, it happened to be that she was a woman, so she was looking for a guy. It'd be the same thing as a guy looking for women. They're looking for, same thing. You see, I'm not being gender biased here. There's dumb people on both sides of the fence. So what happened was she met this guy on the internet. <laughs> now you're saying, Pastor, you just tell it. No, I'm telling you the absolute truth. This is the fact. Everything I'm telling you is the absolute truth. She met this guy on the internet. They, I guess they would say, fell in love on the internet. My Lord God, if anything in this world makes no sense that's ever been said in this lifetime, falling in love on the internet is one of those things. But she did. She fell for him. And she invited him to her house to come to Orange Park. I don't know where he came from. It doesn't matter. But he didn't have anywhere to live or anywhere to go. So he was glad to come to Orange Park. And when he got here, I mean the day he got here, moved in with her. Moved in with her. Now, you know what I mean when I say moved in with her. I don't mean she gave him a bedroom off in the corner of the house. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, because I want to make sure you do. She was a member of the church. She joined the church. Glory to God, joined the church. And then, I'm not saying the internet was her destruction. No, the internet didn't destroy her. The internet had, the, the internet had something. That was a tool that the devil used. You don't have to be so stupid as to do everything that somebody on the internet tells you to do. You don't have to be that dumb. You can be if you want to be, but you don't have to be. And so, she just happened to, because she fell in love with this man. I don't know if he's still there or not. I don't know if he's still living in her house. I hadn't heard from her in a few years now. I don't know. I don't try to find out. I figure if she ever gets her senses back and wants to come back to God and comes out, we'll pray for her and believe for her and help her get back to God. But when people are that dumb, I'm going to tell you I can't do much to help them. (laughs) So I'm just going to put my attention where I think there's a chance of getting something accomplished. She drank the Kool-Aid. 
Now, you say, well, Pastor, you know, that's a little extreme. I grant you. I grant you. That's just not a daily affair. Thank God it's not. I'm so happy it's not. If you met somebody over the Internet and you have a good relationship, I'm not talking about you either. I'm talking about somebody who just said such a dumb thing as to let some stranger come in. And I guess when she saw him, he looked as good as she thought he was going to look when she talked to him on the Internet because she let him move in. I want to tell you, friends, you don't have to be so desperate in your life for anything. You don't have to be so desperate for a man or a woman. You don't have to be so desperate for a job. You don't have to be so desperate for acceptance by somebody else that you do the right or yet you do the wrong thing thinking it's the right thing that you do the wrong thing to make that happen. That's drinking the poison that tastes good. It tastes good at the time. But in the long term, it doesn't taste good and it will kill you. It will kill you spiritually and drive you away from God and that's what happens. It happens all the time. There are two verses that are identical in the Old Testament. Two verses that say exactly the same thing. I guess the Lord put them there because it was so important he said it two times. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12. If you want to check it out. And chapter 16 verse 25. Those two verses say exactly the same thing. Here's what they say. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a person, that seems right to people. A way that seems right, a flavor that tastes good, a deception that's been put out there that we bought into, and it seems right, it seems good, but the end of that way is death. And so when you drink the poison, no matter how good it may taste at the time, you drink the poison, in the end, it's going to mean death. It's going to lead you to death. And there's victory in Jesus, there's victory in the power of the Lord, there's overcoming grace available for us. I've been preaching, I know now, 38 minutes, a little bit long for me. thought I was going to preach shorter today, and I don't know why I just, but anyway, I'm through. <laughs> Go ahead and applaud, I won't be insulted by it. Because <laughs> you're not applauding because I'm through, you're applauding it was so good. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I love you.